Good morning. Um, it's good to be up here in front of you guys, being able to share with you something God's laid on my heart. Um, we're going through a series at the moment, which Mark kicked off so well, um, and it's the names of God. Um, and I don't know why, but I'm even more nervous than normal today. Um, and so if anyone who knows me, that's pretty nervous. So um, if I get really sweaty, you know why. All right, so the, the name that we're looking at today is uh, the Lord of Hosts. The Lord of Hosts. So we're just going to start off, and we've just anchored all of this in Psalm 9, 10. And we just want to start off there again. Let's start from nine. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Let me just pray. Lord of hosts, We are here today because we want to know more of you. And we ask that as we open your word, your, your revelation to man, that we would see what it means to call you the Lord of hosts and why you would attach this to yourself and say, this is my name. But I just want to pray, Lord Jesus, that the words I speak would be Words of life, that would be encouragement, but most of all that Jesus would be revealed through them. So I pray, Holy Spirit, come now and start your, your amazing work on, on our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've anchored it all in Psalm 9, 10, and it's, and it's this very phrase, those who know your name put their trust in you. And so it's very important then to know what is the name of God. Because if we're supposed to trust him, then we need to know his name. And, and Mark started off so well and lead us in, into that. And, um, and we're and we starting to hear some of the, the names. And, we, and Mark spoke about his name being Peace. And we didn't actually arrange the order of how we were going to un- you know, speak about the names of God. We didn't go, we'll do this one, then this one, then this one. This is just the one that I happened to pick at this point. But the amazing thing is, is if we don't grasp the name of God being the Prince of Peace, the Peace, Shalom, Jehovah Shalom. If we don't grasp him being peace, then when I speak about the Lord of hosts, we will be terrified. We would be absolutely terrified. And, and, and when you start looking at this, you're like, yeah, maybe, maybe God is in control of all things. And he does kind of plan this stuff where we're just going, oh, I'll have that one. And Mark goes, which one are you after? And, and, and oh, yeah, that jumps out at me. God's already planned it before time. 
So I want you to, as, as we're going through this, I want you to hang on to Jehovah Shalom in light of Lord of Hosts. All right. Now, I, I, the reason I picked Lord of Hosts, or God picked it for me, whichever way you want to look at it, is because I don't really know much about it. I saw it, I'm like, what? well, that looks interesting because I don't know much about what that means. So I want to actually look into it and, and dig into it and see what it means. And so I, I don't know about you, but the first thing I do is I, I open up a search and I search the Bible for Lord of hosts. In fact, I just search for of hosts. And every time that phrase of hosts comes up in Scripture, it is associated only with God. No king of earth, not even the great Nebuchadnezzar, no king, no kingdom actually gets this associated with him. Just God. But the thing that got a little bit concerning for me is I started doing this on Friday. And there's 286 times this is mentioned. 286 times. And I have... I won't say it's a problem. I say it's a blessing that once I start something... I have to do it completely. And so on Friday, I decided to start reading through every single instance where it mentions Lord of Hosts. 286 times. And of course, when you're reading Scripture, the first thing you ever learn when you're reading Scripture is context. You can't just read a verse because you need to know the context it was written into. So that means 286 times Lord of Hosts is mentioned, or God of Hosts is sometimes mentioned as well. Reading into context, and I realized by the end of Friday, I'd made a mistake, or so I thought. I'm like, I'm not even halfway through this. And I get to halfway through Saturday. In fact, it was more than halfway through, so 4 o'clock Saturday afternoon. And I'm not quite finished. I've only got a little bit left to go. And I still don't know what God's trying to tell me about the Lord of hosts. And then I read it some more. And then you sit back and you look at the the breadth of it. Now, I've only brought one page of notes here today, but there's 28 other pages back at home. And when you start looking at this overview, this high view of what this Lord of hosts means, all of a sudden, all of a sudden you get a picture of God. So today, I want to take you on that journey I went on. I want to just read through some of these verses. Not all, we're not going to go through all 286. So you're all right. And, I, and I'm, 
I'm also aware that this may for some people be maybe a little heavy. And I know some of you are going to get lost part of the way through. But I, what I hope happens is I'm going to hopefully pick you back up at the end. Because I think what we'll get to is something that will be, for me it's been so profound that I'm like, how did I not see this before? So if, if you find yourself wandering, don't worry, it's okay, we'll come back together at the end. So we're going to start off, and we want to start off with the first verse in Scripture that actually says that this is the name of God. So we've got to go to that well-known prophet, Amos, you all knew that one? You knew I was going there, didn't you? Okay, he's not so well known. I'm going to go Amos 4 and verse 13. So this is the first time that God associates his name with Lord of hosts. And this is what it says. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. So the first person who has a revelation of the host, the Lord of hosts being the name of God, is this prophet Amos. And you notice how when he comes to that point of declaring what the name of God is, he always or he has, in this instance, he's prefixed it with a God who forms the mountains and creates the wind. He's this all-powerful God that can create things from nothing. And not only can he create everything, he knows man's thoughts. So he can see everything. And he can make what should be light, he can turn into darkness. He can, he can take away what naturally should be there. And, and even the highest of mountains that to us would seem impossible to go over are nothing more than a stepping stone to this type of a God. The God of hosts is his name. So this is the first time that anyone's had this revelation of who God is. God of hosts. But it's not the first time that that's used to associate with God. It's just the first time they said that that's his name. And for us to actually understand how they get to that, we need to go back to when it's first mentioned, which is 1 Samuel. Now, when you're reading 1 Samuel, and you read this first, first time that the, the Lord of hosts is mentioned, it's mentioned right at the very start of 1 Samuel. And, and, and I tell you, this is, this is important, because when you're reading, you read um, 1 Samuel, you always read them in the context of 1 Samuel, and then you go straight on to 2 Samuel. And 1 Kings and 2 Kings and 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles, they are 
the, the, the whole six of those books, in fact, the, the first Kings and second Kings and first Chronicles and second Chronicles used to just be first, second, third, and fourth Kings. But those six books are always put together, they're, they're, they're the history of Israel. And when you read them, they're, they're meant to be read together because they, they reference each other and they complement each other. And sometimes they repeat stories again, but they're to show you a history of Israel. But it's not the complete history of Israel. Do you know what history of Israel they're showing? The kingdom of Israel. It shows a history of when the kingdom of Israel started to when the kingdom of Israel finished. So this is showing you the history of the kingdom of Israel. And the very first time we hear this Lord of hosts is when Elkanah, who is the husband of of Hannah, who is the mother of Samuel. And here's the here's thing. This is, this is Elkanah says, is, is about Elkanah here. It says, Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. The Lord of hosts at Shiloh. Now this is the first time it's mentioned in Scripture. So why would they say the Lord of hosts at Shiloh? What, what is so significant that this is a time that they would put Lord of hosts? Because this story of Hannah is actually the story of sacrifice and offering, which was the very thing that God had asked the people of Israel to do. When you go into the land, remember me, remember my laws, remember the decrees, and you will find a place, and it will not be any place in Israel. There will be one place that I will ask you to come to, to worship me. And at this time it was Shiloh. And when, when the people come, and this is, this is a moment when God is about to do something that he's never done in Israel before. He's going to raise up Samuel. And do you know what Samuel's main calling was to do? It was to anoint. It was to anoint the people of God. And so God said, you are to anoint. And sometimes we think about the kings of Israel being a mistake. In fact, sometimes we read through Samuel and think, actually, that is not the heart of God. God didn't actually want kings in Israel. And they they wanted to be like other nations and wanted kings like other nations. They didn't want to be the people of God anymore. They didn't want to rely on God. But it's not true because in Deuteronomy, we actually have God says, "When, when you have kings... They must obey the law, and they are to teach the law to the people. So actually, previous to this, God had already said there's going to be kings. And Samuel's role then was to anoint a king, is to establish a kingdom. Samuel's role was to establish a kingdom on earth. It starts to sound a little bit familiar, doesn't it? A kingdom established on earth. So this very first time we hear it is, is to do with 
this amazing sacrifice that Hannah offers up to God. She says, my, my firstborn son, I will give to you. And this becomes Samuel. And then we've got the next time, and it's, and it's quite amazing, because the, the next time that it's mentioned, Lord of hosts, do you know when it is? It's when David is fighting Goliath. So here God is starting something off in raising up Samuel. And the next time we hear it, God's doing something about raising up a king after his own heart. And we jump to Samuel 17, 45. Keep an eye on time as well. This is what David says. And this is this amazing... This amazing verse where Goliath have just said, you know, who are you, little boy? What are you with your sticks and stones? What are you doing here? I'm going to snap you and throw you to the birds of the air. This is, this is David's response. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you. In the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. Can you see something's happening here? God's raised up Samuel. He's raising up David. And this is the next time we hear it. And then it goes on again. And we get into Second Samuel. We go 2 Samuel 5.10. And this verse is to do with David has been anointed, has been crowned king of Judah. And just before this verse... The, the Israel, the tribes of Israel, the ten tribes of Israel now come to David and said, we anoint you and we crown you king over us as now. And so the, the whole of Israel is united under David. And David says, now, as a united kingdom, we're going to go take Jerusalem. And they march on Jerusalem and they take it. And David sets up his kingdom in Jerusalem and he calls it the city of David. And God speaks this amazing promise to David saying that your kingdom, there will will never cease to be someone sitting on the throne of David. And then it says this, and David became greater and greater for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. So the kingdom had now been established And the Lord of hosts, the God of hosts, was with the king who had been raised up to establish his kingdom on earth. And we have this, this amazing usage of this name of God, the Lord of hosts. And whenever it refers to king or kingdoms, it's always talking about something that is being established or will be established. So when it's in terms of kingdom, he's saying something's being established. 
But here is where it turns. Because the Lord of hosts all of a sudden turns from something from being established into something very different. The next time we, we read about it, it's about Elijah and he's confronting Ahab to challenge him to Mount Carmel. And you know Mount Carmel, where they, they go up there and Elijah says, bring, us, bring the 400 priests you got of Baal and the 400 and something of Asherah and let's go up to the Mount Carmel and let's both cry out and see who God answers. See, before that moment, Elijah comes and he presents himself and he says, by the name of the Lord of hosts, he says, by the Lord of hosts, this will happen. What will happen? Well, this is where it shifts because it's no longer talking about kings and kingdoms here. This is Elijah now that it is using and referring to. And do you know what the shift is? What happened on Mount Carmel? Yes, there was an amazing display of God's power, but the truth was it was judgment between those who would serve God and those who would not serve God. So all of a sudden, in Elijah, this name associated, this Lord of hosts, took on this meaning of judgment. And from this point on, all, I think it's about 270 other times that it's mentioned, it's about judgment. It's about judgment of God. We have Amos comes first, as we, as we read And he's speaking about the judgment that's going to come upon Israel and their prosperity and Judah, the divided kingdom at that stage. Because God's going to judge you. Judge you because you're not looking after the poor. Judge you because you are so self-sufficient that you cannot even offer to me what is due to me. I am coming and I am judging you. And then Isaiah comes along. And we, do you know, as Christians, we love Isaiah. And why do we love Isaiah? Because there are so many good verses about the coming of the Messiah, about the Christ, about the, the one who is chosen to save the world. But do you know, Isaiah is more about judgment than it is about the Saviour. And Isaiah uses the, the, the phrase Lord of hosts about 60 times. And four of those times he, he mentioned them as that is his name. His name is the Lord of hosts. And also when you're reading it with Isaiah, same with an Amos, it has this connotation, and, and in fact, you read the context, it will always refer to things like kingdoms, nations, 
Heavens, earth, water, famine, ground, plants, prosperity. It will always mention these things to do with things of heaven, things of earth. And it's got this, this mentioning of, of not just the heavens being the stars and the, and the moon and the sun, but also the, the heavens being the heavenly, be, heavenly beings and angels and, and things like that as well. But it's always, if you, know, if you read through it, and if you've got a couple of free days, I, I encourage you to read through these 286 times that it mentions it. Because you'll see in every context... It has some reference to heaven and earth, judgment and justice. So why? The word hosts has two, it it sounds similar. Isaiah is quite good because Isaiah loves, he's a bit of poet. He loves his, he's very, writes so well and so, so amazing the way he writes. And he has this play on the words sometimes because hosts actually sounds very similar to, um, in Hebrew to the phrase to fight. And it also sounds very similar in Hebrew to the word Glory. And Isaiah uses this play on words quite a bit to fight and glory, and to fight as in, in judgment and justice, and, and, and to glory as in this is a God of all things, all powerful over heaven and earth, and when he speaks, it's going to happen. And he uses both of these to fight and glory. But hosts is actually referring to heaven and earth. And it's saying that he is Lord, he is God of heavens, created heavens and created earth. And so when it's saying Lord of hosts, that's what he is, both. It mentions... Heavenly, or, or when it, whenever it mentions, it's the only time host is used as in, in connection with God. Whenever it's used in connection just with heavenly being, it's just the word host, heavenly host. There's no plural on it. There's no, there's no, the plural is only in association with God. And this is because it's trying to say that Yes, there are heavenly beings, and yes, there is earthly beings, but there is only one who is Lord over both. Lord of hosts is his name. So here we have, we have Amos, who was the first prophet, is before Isaiah, and he's speaking about judgment upon Israel. And then we have Isaiah, who speaks about judgment coming upon Israel and Judea. Then we have Jeremiah, Jeremiah, oh my Jeremiah, 
Jeremiah who... And this, this is where it starts to get interesting because Isaiah used it 60 times. So about on average, Isaiah was, was saying every chapter he was using the, the name Lord of Hosts. About on average. It's about 60, 60-something chapters in Isaiah. And he uses it about 60 times. Thank you. <laughs> and we come to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah's... Now he's using it almost twice every chapter. And so first you've got Amos, and he uses it a, a few times. And Isaiah, he's using nearly once a chapter. Jeremiah, he's starting to use it twice a chapter. And then we go on to Zechariah, and he's using it almost four times a chapter. And then we move on again. This is chronological, by the way. We get to Haggai and He's using it six times a chapter. And then we get to Malachi, and he's also using it six times a chapter. So the very last book of the Bible, in fact, the last two books of the Bible, are using it so often now. Lord of hosts, God of hosts. Six times a chapter. Haggai only has two chapters in it. He mentions it 12 times. It fits on one page. Twelve times he mentions Lord of hosts. And all the connections are judgment. The wrath of God is coming. Judgment is here. Justice will be dealt. The God over heaven and the God over earth is coming to judge. And we get to Malachi and Six times a chapter, he's saying, God of hosts, Lord of hosts, the one who's going to come to judge, he's coming, and he's coming to judge. And we get to the end of Malachi, and silence. Four hundred years, and all they have is, the Lord of hosts is coming, and he's coming to judge. The wrath of God is being held back by something, but sometime soon it's going to burst. We come to the New Testament, and you're all thinking, thank God for the New Testament. This is going to be good. This, is, this will be good, New Testament. So we come into the New Testament, and we get John the Baptist. And what is he talking about? Judgment. Repent! Turn away! The wrath of God is coming! Oh, well, John, he's, he's, let's keep going. Maybe, maybe there's something better than John coming. And Jesus comes along. Yes, Jesus. Woe to you cities! Woe to Bethsaida! Woe to you! It would be better for Ty and Sidon than for you in the day of judgment. Woe to you cities. I have not come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. And what is the fulfillment of the law? That all who break it will be judged. Oh, Jesus, what's happening? So here we've got the Old Testament silent for 400 years and here we go and straight away the judgment's back.
And then the very, there's only two times that Lord of Hosts is mentioned in the New Testament. And guess what they're associated with? Judgment. Yeah. So the first one is in Romans. When Paul's speaking about the judgment that's come upon Israel and why they've been, um, and why it is as they are. And then the second time it comes, James mentions it, and it's about the judgment coming upon those people that are withholding wages for those that have worked for them. And saying that you're oppressing the poor, and this cry of the poor has been heard by the Lord of hosts. So here we've got the New Testament, and we're like, yeah, surely the New Testament's the good part. But yet it's still saying the same thing when it comes to the Lord of hosts. God of heaven and God of earth, the Lord of hosts, saying the same thing, judgment. Judgment's coming. We need to go to Jeremiah 23. And this is what Jeremiah says. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold the storm of the Lord. The wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it clearly. Well, what does that mean? So here we've got saying, clearly the wrath of God is coming, and it's like this dam that's being held back by the hand of God, and the wrath is building up, building up, building up, and every now and then we see the splashes of it coming over, and the wrath of God kind of hitting here and there, but there seems to be something holding back the storms of God, and at some point he's going, "Uh uh-uh, it's coming now. And he says, in the latter days, you will understand. Now, do you know what the latter days are? Now. Latter days, the last days, refers to now. When you look at the book of Revelation, it speaks about the last days or the latter days or the days to come. It is the days that are from the resurrection of Jesus Christ to his return. That is the latter days. Well, that's good news because now we might understand what this wrath is about. This is the latter days. Stay with me, stay with me. We're getting there. Because even through all these prophets where the judgment is being spoken out, there is always hints of one who would save. All the way through, every single prophet gave a hint of the one to come. We go to Luke 10. I'm going to run a little bit over time, but just stay with me. So 
So Luke 10, we have this amazing story of Jesus sending out the 72. And then they return, and this is what it says. In that same hour that they returned, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and, understand, uh, and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for, them, uh, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom, he, whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. What? What? He what? A kingdom being established and the wrath of God coming, the Lord of hosts. And here we hear Jesus saying, Father, Lord of heaven, Lord of earth. And guess what? That Lord of heaven and earth has given it over to Jesus. And Jesus said, there's hints all the way through the Old Testament of this very thing happening. Samuel longed for it. King David longed for it. Isaiah, Hezekiah. These prophets and kings, they longed for this day where they would see the Lord God of heaven and earth establishing his kingdom and bringing his justice. But it doesn't explain this wrath of God. If we go back to Isaiah 44... Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. So here we've got the shift, people. The shift is now Jesus, the Redeemer. Who's the Redeemer? Jesus. And the shift now is the Redeemer is the Lord of hosts. So now the Lord over heaven and earth is now being known to man in Jesus Christ. And then it says, this is what... The Lord of hosts, the Redeemer says, I am the first and I am the last. Where have we heard this before? Well, you're probably thinking, you know, things like, well, that's Revelation. And you know I've been in Revelation a lot and and you probably think that's where I'm going to go to. But no, we're going to go before Revelation if I can find it. 1 Corinthians 15. And I'm almost there. I'm almost there. I'm going to read from 45. It says, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So here we're hearing first and last. Now I want you to see what it's speaking about here. What was the first Adam? Do you know what Adam actually means? 
Yeah. The Hebrew word was to, to mean of the earth. That means created from the earth, of the earth. Adam, the first Adam, of the earth. So here we have someone who's given dominion and authority over earth, but just earth, man, humanity. And now we're hearing, but that's the, that's the first Adam. There's actually another one. There's a last, there's a first and a last Adam. And now we hear the Apostle Paul saying, the last Adam is Jesus. And we read in Romans 5. I'm, I'm, there, I'm getting there. It's, it's, it's good. Trust me. Come on. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgressions of Adam, who was a type of one who was to come, pointing forward. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. For the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the first and I am the last. I'll read one more verse and then I'll give you the conclusion. It's John 3.13. And this is Jesus now. And this is just before the most amazing, or should I say the most well-known verse in Scripture. And he's speaking to Nicodemus, and this is what Jesus says. No one who has ascended into heaven, except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And if you read that context into the next verses, you know that God's saying that actually there's a wrath coming against the people, against humanity. And this one man who represents all of humanity, Adam, the first Adam, on him the all wrath must pour out. And then Jesus says that no one has ascended into heaven except who he who comes from heaven. So now we've got the last Adam and he's come down from heaven. So now he's the Lord of heaven, but he's also a heavenly being who is now an earthly being. And so now we have this amazing merging of heaven and earth in Jesus Christ. 
And so when we get to, to 3.16, for God so loved the world, it's upon Jesus that he's saying this. You see, the wrath of God had been held back for so long. And I was waiting for that moment when heaven and earth was united in the God-man Jesus Christ. And as soon as it was, the one who was both heavenly and earthly, the wrath of God was poured out. Poured out upon himself. God who was holding back his wrath for all that our history, that all the stuff that we've done wrong and everything that we would do wrong, he's holding it back and he says, now the floodgates are open. And as Jesus was nailed to that cross, the wrath was poured. The full judgment. The full judgment, the full wrath of God poured upon him so that we would not have to have that. This is the Lord of hosts. This is the God-man, Jesus Christ. And our response can only be two things. Repentance and worship. It's our only response to a God-man who would take upon himself not only the Lord of hosts to be king over heaven and earth, but to also take on the very thing that was due to us, the wrath of God poured upon himself, on God himself taking it for us. Repentance and worship is our only response to such a man. To such a God. I just want to finish. We just want to sing. I know it's a bit late, but I feel we need to respond to this in song. So I've just asked the guys if they could sing a song on this. Well, it's not on this, but it's about Jesus. Because the Lord of hosts is Jesus Christ. And the judgment that comes with that name has been poured upon himself, Jesus. Let let me pray and then we'll sing. Lord Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth, Lord of hosts, thank you that you have come and redeemed a people for yourself. That in you, both heaven and earth, united in the God-man Jesus Christ to not only take away the sins of the world, but to, to take upon himself the judgment and the wrath of God so that we may be justified and stand before God as a holy people, blameless, without blemish and without sin because of the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts, that is his name.